right? Uh, but like, you know, something would happen and I'd just, you know, I'd be upset and all, all bothered because things didn't go perfect. And the thing is, is God wants our heart. He just wants our heart. And does that mean that we don't strive for excellence? There's a difference between perfection and excellence. Excellence means you do it as well as you possibly can. And as we well know, all of us have different degrees of excellence in different areas of our life. And he, he's given us some gifts and talents where we're super excellent, where we're super great at what we do because that's just God's blessing on our life and the gifts that he's given us. And then there's others that are, are less gifted. If you, you know, if you were to look at a scale, but he doesn't look at that. He looks at our heart and our attention toward him, and he looks for worshipers. You know, you can have the most incredible skill. You can be a per- perfect, I mean, just p- perform absolutely flawless, and your heart's not in it. Your heart's not toward God, and God rejects that stuff. He just, he goes, this isn't from the heart. He doesn't, he, he wants our hearts you know, when he's talking to the children of Israel, and, and even uh, David knew this, King David, God doesn't want our sacrifices. He doesn't want all this perfection stuff. He wants us. He wants our hearts. And so for us to give ourselves to him, and even if we might mess up a little bit. Now, I would guess that probably none of you were severely damaged. When when I when I accidentally hit that pedal, which is so funny because go like this, you got to see this. The words are here, right? So I'm playing. All of a sudden, push, push, it goes through the next two songs, and I'm going, "Oh my goodness!" I stepped on that pedal, and you can't keep playing if you don't know the next chord. So you go. Err. But is anyone going to go home traumatized by that? I'm not. And the reason being is because things happen. Stuff happens in life that we don't plan and we don't want. And then even with that, you know, another thing happened was when the kids came up with the flag. See, I'm, I'm, I have to be this person. I'm just, I have to lock everything out. And I saw, I saw this flag come by, and it went, squirrel. And then I lost my place, and I'm going, here, playing the wrong chord, singing the wrong thing. And, you know, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry, you know, you know, but the idea is that, God, we're just opening ourselves to you. We have to just, in a lot of ways, lighten up, man. We just, we can get too uptight about how we have to do everything and be all this stuff. And what God wants us to do is rest in his grace and his mercy and just enjoy him. Now, that does, that wasn't sin up there, by the way. Because some people use that. Oh, God's a God of grace and I can just do anything. He knows my heart and then we sin and we sin against God who paid the price. Jesus paid a penalty for our sin so that we could be free from it. I'm not talking about, oh, let's just relax and kumbaya, man. Eat, drink, and be merry. Woohoo! Tomorrow you may die. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about being free to be before God and just rest and not try to be this performance person. Now, you know, when little kids are little, they don't, they love to perform, but do they ever do it like really 100% right? But man, we love it. Don't you love it? I just love it. I, I loved it when Zeal said, oh, are we done? 
we're done already? Well, I like that because he was having fun. So, you know. Oh, well, there you go. So that's a little story. That's a little story. All right. We're going to loose our kids, go to children's church and have fun. I'll tell you, you guys are going to have fun down there too. You will. All right. So, this year, the theme that we've had and we've been talking about as we've been moving along the year is the year of wholeness. Wholeness means wholeness. See, when God talks about wholeness, we we have to figure this out. What standard are we going to live by? What standard are we going to live by? Are we going to live by just our experience? Is that our standard? Gone through life and this is the way it's been? Or do we want to live by God's standard? And God's standard is wholeness. That's his goal for every one of us, each and every one of us. It's his goal for his people. He died for a reason. He died, yes, to deliver us from sin, but that's just, that's, it's huge. That's huge. But that's just the opening door. He's died to set us free from sin so that we could enter into a relationship with God and we could move forward into all of the fullness that God has for us, all of his fullness. And so when we look at God and he says he... There we go. Now I got to remember where I was. So when I think when we when we look at at what God says, Jesus said, "I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly." And we can look at areas of our life where we're not experiencing that abundance, and we can either say, "God, your word's not true," or we can say, "You know what?" I'm not experiencing the life that he wants in this area and start searching it out. Start finding the promises of God in that area of our lives and start looking towards what he has because the scripture tells us that we have all these precious promises and that we have everything that we need for life, everything that we need for godliness. There's nothing that God has not given us and made available through Jesus Christ. And so when we're not experiencing something in an area of our life, then we can say, God, this isn't the abundant life. What do I need to do to get it? What am I misunderstanding? What am I not under or getting in my heart that I need to get so that I can begin to walk in the fullness that you have for me? And that's an important thing to remember because uh, a lot of times I've had people look me right in the eyeball and say, I tried Christianity, it doesn't work. Because they didn't understand that Christianity is a relationship with God. It's not just, oh, I'm going to try this and see if everything becomes perfect in my life. Sometimes when we become Christians, things become worse. Things become more difficult. Just ask someone, you know, 
I remember, you know, when I first got saved, I had friends that we used to go to the bars together and all this kind of stuff, and they were mad at me. They were mad. I had one especially. He was so ticked at me. He would come up, let's go out and drink. No, and he just turned red. He was so angry at me because I accepted Jesus. Now I wouldn't go party with him. And I, you know, he had to go alone. Uh, and I just thought, isn't that interesting? Some people will fight against us, you know, some husbands and wives. I mean, I just remember uh, when the first time we went to India, we were over there and he said, Jesu Padam said, do you see that cook? I said, yeah. He said, well, she accepted Jesus Christ and her husband kicked her out of the house. Because he was a Hindu, and he said, you're out. Kicked her right out of the house, and so she was left totally, absolutely nothing. There's a lot of poverty over any, there anyway, so they don't have a lot of things. But she was kicked out, so they took her in, and they gave her a place to stay, and they gave her a job cooking because she accepted Jesus. It happens. Things get worse sometimes when we know Jesus. And then you go, well, wait a minute. How can I, how can I have the full and abundant life of God when, when we're talking about things that are bad and taking place in our lives? See, the thing is, is that God can touch our hearts in whatever circumstance or situation that we're in. So Paul's in prison. He's in prison, and he knows at some point in his life here, in the next season, they're going to kill him. He knows this. And so he begins to speak. He says, I'm content. You know, I'm, 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 it doesn't matter. They can't, they can't imprison my soul. They can't, in, they can do anything they want to my body, but they can't touch my soul. They can imprison me, but they can't imprison my heart. They can't do it. And so this really becomes an important concept that when God's talking about these things, it doesn't mean an absence of outer pressures and, and those kind of things, but what it means is that God's doing something on the inside of us so that whatever our circumstances and situations are, we can look to him and say, yes. We can look to him and say, you are good. We can look to him and say, God, I'm, I'm feeling this right now, this fear or this anxiety. I'm feeling hatred or anger. God, this is not what you have for me. What can I do? Where, where, what do I need to do to get this dealt with on the inside of me? And so we find out that uh, when we're talking about wholeness is that it's a process. So the first thing is, is our walk with God's a journey and not a destination. I really like this idea because it, it, it's so clear in the scriptures. It shows it in a lot of different ways. So it talks about, do you know what it calls the Christian walk? They used to, in, in the book of Acts, they call it the way. It's just the way of life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But they call, actually, believers before they started calling them Christians. And if you remember, that was in a different location, and that was a Gentile location. But they called the, the believers, the way. They were following the way of Jesus. They were following his path. They were in a relationship with him, and they were walking with him. See, walking is, you know, a lot of times we think of just the destination, and, and that's what I, I want to get, because a lot of times people say, you know, uh, Christianity is about going to heaven. That's just a small, little, dinky portion of what in the world we're talking about. And actually, if you know this, I, I always have to say this because people are misrepresent stuff. They'll say, 
oh, I'm going to live in heaven. No, you're not going to live in heaven. You're going to live on the new earth. It's in the scripture. Read Revelation chapter 21. It says there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it says that God is going to, to come to the earth. God himself, Father God and Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. They're going to be there on the earth. Because God's intention in his heart from the very beginning was us to live on the earth and him to be our God and for us to be his people. That was his whole goal And so, you know, we see that we're talking about heaven right now. Well, everyone who's dead and knows Jesus is in the presence of the Lord, which is heaven, right? They're in God's presence. We see it in the book of Revelation. They're in the throne room. The ones who were being killed and persecuted, they were right in the throne room of God. And they were going, how long, God, how long are you going to let this stuff go on? And so we see that there are people in heaven right now. Yes, but... When God sets everything right, when he comes back for the second time, when he comes back and sets things on, on the earth and he takes all the kingdoms and all the authority and puts them under the feet and hands them over to the Father, then the judgment's going to come. And when the judgment comes, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. It says, Peter says that the, this, this earth was burned up with a fire and it's just gone. See, when God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, it's, he's not just rehabbing this one. He's creating, recreating a whole new thing. And it says there'll be no sun, no moon, no stars. You know why? You can't see the stars during the day, right? Can you? You look up there. and you, Well, every once in a while, if it's really close and big, you can kind of see something up there. But, you know, ultimately, it's because of the light of the sun. When the glory of God, when we're living on the new heaven and the new earth, the glory of God's going to be the light. That's what it talks about. You read it. It talks about it. His glory is going to light up the world. There's no sun. There's no need for it. There's no need for the moon. Why did he set the sun and the moon in order and all those things? For, for day and evening, for times and seasons, and for us to know the months and all those things. But When there's a new heaven and a new earth, it's all eternity. There's no time. Time ceases to exist, and we enter into the fullness of eternity. And so we see these promises. that, But that's, you know, we're going to live on the earth. Heaven's not our goal. Jesus is our goal. And our relationship with God the Father and our relationship with the Holy Spirit, that's the goal of our life. And so here's, here's the thing. When we're talking about wholeness, God's goal right now for this earth is what? He has us pray it, is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's your kingdom come? The rule and reign of God, his peace, his shalom, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his life, his abundance, fullness of everything that he has. He wants us to begin to experience those things in our lives. And every single one of us have. When we've come to the Lord, he's done things in our lives. He's freed us and he's delivered us from some things. Now, this I don't understand. You know, like when I first came to the Lord, boy, I was, bam, I was delivered. So I quit drinking instantly. And I drank every single day of my life up to then. Uh, Well, not when I was a baby. You know what I'm saying. I was saying in that when I got saved, I was 21. And so I was drinking every single solitary day. And uh, so when I got saved, boom, that fell off. 
when I, when I got saved, certain things just passed away. But then I had problems with cussing, and I had such an anger. I tell you, you just, you look at me wrong, I'd blow your head right off. I'd scream at you, I'd yell at you, I'd cuss you up and down. One, you know, people just look at me like, what? You have no idea. I was hurt, wounded, angry, just angry. And it didn't matter who you were. I mean, I chewed my colonel out one day and didn't get arrested. He was really nice and said, Terry, go sit down. He patted me on the back. Terry, go sit down. Because you don't do that (laughs) in the military. You don't scream at your colonel. You don't scream at your colonel in front of the whole squadron. Because I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and everyone in our squadron, you know, people are peeking out and I'm just screaming and yelling right at him. And he's a little guy, so I'm right over him, you know. So my smoking didn't go away. My anger didn't go away. And my cussing. But within six months, the Lord delivered me from smoking. And the Lord freed me from cussing, man, because I was just, I'd get so angry. And then he started working on my anger and started dealing with me. So the thing I want to say is that wholeness, when we start talking about wholeness, we have to understand that it's a journey also and not an event. It's not like, I wish, oh, how I wish, but that's not life in the Bible. You don't instantly, wouldn't it be great? Jesus, I accept you. Bam! And everything's gone. Everything's healed. Everything's delivered. You never feel a temptation. You never feel struggles. You never have a difficulty. Everyone's nice to you. Everyone loves you and just comes up, oh, you are the best. And they just think you are awesome. And just, wouldn't that just be wonderful? It would, but it's not what happens. What happens is when we're born again, we get a new spirit. And that spirit of God begins to work in us, and we begin the process of transformation. It's, we're transformed into the image of Jesus. The same goal for every single one of us is that we are like Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to have different gifts and all those kind of things, but when it says to be like Jesus, I think he's, he's our example. He walked the earth as a human being on purpose. Because he, first of all, had to die as a human being, but he came to show us the way. He came to show us how to walk in the presence of God, how to be obedient to God in all things, how to say yes to the Lord, even though it was painful and difficult and hard. Just difficult. You see the anguish of his soul in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see his anguish as as his blood vessels burst in his head and he's sweating drops of blood. You see some anguish there. He went through all these things, and he did it for us. So there's this whole process then. Wholeness is a process. Every time we have a theme, we've been doing this, I think, for about nine or ten years now. The Lord just had us start doing that. He gave me a theme one year, and we've been doing it every year. I asked the Lord, do you have another theme? And the theme this year was the year of wholeness. So when we talk about wholeness, we're talking about God wants us to be whole in every aspect of who we are. That means he wants us to be whole physically. He wants us to be whole mentally. 
He wants us to be whole emotionally. He wants us to be whole spiritually. He wants us to be whole relationally with him and with other people. He wants us to be whole as family units. He wants us to be whole in in the way that we relate to those around us in the surrounding area. And his goal, if things would, if people's hearts would change, we would have communities that would be communities of believers that could actually begin to, to see more and more the life of God as, as we just surrender to him and yield to him and bless one another and build one another up. And so there's this whole process. He wants things to be right governmentally in all these different areas. And because when, you know, it says pray for a righteous leader because when a righteous leader is there, good things happen. When a wicked, evil leader is there, then what happens is that there's oppression, unrighteousness, unjust things take place, bribes happen, all these terrible things take place. And so God wants us to experience his life here on the earth, as, and we will experience it when we're in heaven, obviously, if, if we die before he comes back, and then we'll experience it on the new earth because he's going to bring his rule and reign and his very presence, and we can dwell in his presence because we'll have resurrected bodies that can handle the glory. Okay, quick side issue, real fast. So do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? My personal belief is that what happened is they lost the glory. Remember, they were naked and unashamed because they had the glory of the Lord upon them. And once once they sinned, Shame came. I think glory is the opposite of shame. Glory, God's glory, is the opposite of shame. And so we'll get into that sometime because that's kind of interesting because I've been doing a lot of study on this stuff and I just kept coming across the words that the opposite of shame, which means to be covered with feeling absolutely when you have shame you feel bad about yourself shame is is something we feel about who we are guilt is something we do shame is something we feel and then when god takes away our shame he wants to return and restore his glory and that's how we're transformed right from glory to glory so he's that process of us changing is actually God giving us more of his glory. We're experiencing more and more. And you see, as you experience more of his glory, you become more like him, right? It's just amazing. And so he's taking all of our shame away. Now he's returning and restoring the glory. And the more we become like him, the more filled with glory we are. All right, that was a... Um, but the idea with wholeness then, the idea of, of wholeness, it's a process that we get to cooperate with. That's why I was saying at the beginning that if, if we're not experiencing what God says is truth, we need to get before him and say, Lord, what's up in my life? 
because there's things that block us from experiencing his truth. One of the things is ungodly beliefs, man. They'll just totally, absolutely destroy God's truth because what an ungodly belief is is if I were to give it a definition, I have a fancy definition because I've written a lot on this. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to work on a book right now that I'm editing, hopefully editing before I send to the editor. Isn't that funny? But I'm working on it right now. It's about 156 pages. It'll be a little less by the time I get done. I have a formal definition of this. But if if we were to put this, this idea of an ungodly belief, it's believing something that is opposed to God's word and leaving us in a position of hopelessness and despair in our own life. That's a stronghold or an ungodly belief where we read the word of God. And if you ever do this, understand this. Instantly, you know you have an ungodly belief. You read this and say, yeah, that's true for others, but not me. Ungodly belief. And it'll limit your experiencing his because you won't press into anything because you don't believe it. We receive everything from God by faith. That's why the enemy works so hard on our ungodly beliefs. He wants us to believe every lie possible because they hinder and block us from receiving the fullness of what God has. There's an experience that he has for us, but we'll never experience it unless we respond in faith. And if you believe in ungodly belief, you can't live in the truth. So we have to hear God's truth. So anytime you have that pop up in your head, write that baby down and start attacking that. Start attacking it and going against it. It says take every thought captive. And so what we do is grab hold of those things and we say no more. I'm not believing this. I, I repent for believing this. I renounce this lie and I reject it. And I receive what God says is true. Now, man, that's hard. You know why? Because we have feelings attached to every thought. This is scientific, interesting stuff. I just read all these books on the brain, and so I just I like this. It's kind of interesting. But what happens is that every thought that you have, they, they actually are able to, under like whatever microscope or all this stuff, you know, I don't know all the scientific stuff, they are actually able to look at what we call a thought. It's an actual physical presence in our brain, and it looks, looks like a tree. And if, if it's a good thought, this is what's so interesting in, in their research and stuff that they found. If it's a good thought, then that tree looks like a good tree. If it's a bad thought, something where we've had trauma, something where we believe lies, that's opposed to what God is, it looks like a destroyed, gnarled-up tree. And they can actually look at this in a person's brain and see these things. But they've also found in their research that every thought that we have, every tree that we have is connected to thoughts. And the more that we focus on those thoughts, the bigger the tree becomes. So can you imagine an ungodly belief you've had in your life for 20, 30, 40, 50 years? How big that tree is in your brain? But you know what? When you bring that thought up, Here's so, what's so interesting. You can begin to break that down by speaking forth the truth. It's not just a positive confession thing. You have to believe it or it doesn't work. There's this one lady, she's uh, Carolyn Leaf. She's done a, a lot of brain research and stuff. And so she's talking about this. You have to actually believe it. 
But what you can do is you can rewire your brain. But doesn't that, isn't that what the Bible says? Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So when you have something, it's a lie. You say, this is a lie, and I'm going to use, use God's truth to combat that. I repent, I renounce of this, I get rid of it, and if there's anyone who's said it or situation where you need to forgive, forgive and release the people. And then you say, Lord, if there's any healing that needs to happen in my heart over this lie that I believe, just heal me. And then, Lord, I I ask you for your truth. What is your truth? And when he speaks truth to you, that brings life, and it begins to break down that old tree. And as you repeat that and as you confess that, this is what God says. You're not making stuff up. It's not happy time, right? It's God speaking his truth. And it says the truth will make you free. Isn't that interesting? It will make you free so when we grab hold of his truth and we begin to do this in the process of walking with god and process of walking in wholeness we become more like him because we're thinking like him and we're walking in his ways there's way more that we could talk about there's so much stuff that's what always drives me nuts about sunday morning we need to have a whole weekend retreat thing or something just to talk about this stuff so so what we do is when, when the scripture talks about this thing, when I'm talking about wholeness as a journey, not an event, if, if you know that there's areas you're not experiencing as life, begin to research, begin to ask God, begin to look in the word of God and see what the word of God says. And then allow that to begin to shape and you attack those ungodly beliefs with God's truth and you begin to walk in newness of life. You're transformed and things begin to change. And guess what happens in your brain? That old thought actually disintegrates when you reject it and believe the truth. Over time, it just disintegrates. It just goes away. And this new thought begins to take root, and then you can begin to walk in the truth and walk in the ways of God. And you have to know the truth to walk in the truth. It's just the way it is. And if you remember right, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we go to him, and that's what we do is we believe him. So when you look at what it's talking about, when I'm talking about a process, they're saying it's a walk. We're walking with God. That's a daily adventure. It's something that we do continuously. It's not a one-time event. It's not, oh, I'm going, uh, I'm going on holiday now, and I'm going to take a vacation. And boom, I go to my vacation thing, and then it's over in a week. This is following Jesus every single day of our life. This is walking with him. And so then we have another picture that Paul puts. He says, I've run the race. Now, a race is a, is a one-time event, but he's looking at his whole life as the race, right? Because he's talking at the end of his life to Timothy. He says, I've run the race. I've completed everything I needed to complete. I've done all that God's asked me to do. So he's looking at his whole life, but he's picturing it as a race where he's running the race as a process and you know how that goes you start running a race i don't know have you ever done that i've tried to do some of those i've done 5ks and i did a 110k i'll tell you you start running and even though you think you're in shape sometimes you're not like i remember when i did that 10k i must not have practiced enough or, or did it enough because when i got to about four miles i thought it was gonna or three and a half miles or three miles no it must have been three because What's a, 
No, it must have been four miles because uh, 10K is six miles, right? 6.1. So I'm, I'm just running, and I get there, and I'm just dying. So I start walking. And then I start running again, and then I start walking, and then I start running. I just didn't have enough to get there full speed running, but I got to the end. I finished the race. I did it, but not in the way that I ho- had hoped to. You know, my, I, I remember this one time, I'm, ru- I'm just running, and this, this lady must have been 70 years old. Just comes running right by me, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. And that got me running again. <laughs> I said, are you kidding me? Well, she was in better shape than I was at that point. You know, I could have done a 5K perfect. I did it, you know, but it was like mile four. Ugh. So he talks about a race. So he's looking at, at his whole life as a race. And then if we look at with the enemy in our lives, he, he, he warns us that there, there is an enemy in our life and that what we need to do is we need to be aware of that and that we enter into warfare. We're never to be afraid of the enemy, but we're never to just sit back and say, oh, it's under control because the Bible tells us, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can do what? Stand against the enemy. You can resist the enemy and make him flee because the enemies at work in this world there's a time where God's going to deal with him. We'll never have to deal with him again. New heavens and new earth, no Satan. It's going to be awesome. No sin. It's going to be awesome. We don't quite know how it's going to be because it's going to be way beyond what we can think because we've been so trained by here. It's going to be beyond our comprehension. It's kind of like, when we actually experience God's peace, he says, the peace that passes understanding. We can't comprehend it. I've been in a few situations where I'm sitting there and I'm going, I should be really scared right now. <laughs> but the peace of God was on me. Remember one time in India, all these guys were surrounding us and the guy, the elder in the village was telling them to beat us up and, you know, and we're just standing there. And, and I'm going... Come on, let's preach. I'm talking to the guy, and I said, these guys are ready. God's going to do something. He goes, no, he says, they're saying, beat us up. I said, I don't care. I got the peace of God. I said, I, I don't have that all the time, I guarantee you, where I just, I mean, I was so calm, it didn't really matter. They could have beat me up, and I would, <laughs> you know, I was just peaceful. I was just that peaceful, and I knew it. And I said, come on, let's preach, because these guys are going to accept Jesus. And and so he was afraid, and of course we had some women with us. I said, tell them to go. Me, you and I will just stay here. Tell them, take the ladies, put them in the vehicle, get out of here. We'll just do this. And it wasn't because I was being stupid or extra nuts or anything. It's just, I'm telling you, there was a peace of God that was so strong, it was beyond understanding. I should be freaking out because there was a whole bunch. They're little but when you got a whole bunch, boy, they can do some business. So, well, it's true. I kind of stick out a little bit. <clears throat> well, my interpreter, this is, <laughs> this is how I might, I could go like this and rest my, my elbow on his head like this. That's how short he was. So, it just happens. 
But there was this peace. And you know what I found out? After we left, we left and took off because this was towards the end of our, our journey. They came with another team the next week and the whole village accepted Christ. They were ready. But fear... See, God gives us something that we don't understand, a peace that passes understanding. So everything else about him, we don't get. We get some of it, you know what I'm saying? But we don't get the fullness. I can't wait till we can be in his presence and not fry because we're going to get to know him and experience him throughout eternity. It'll be so awesome. All right, I better get going. I'm just like going crazy today on this must be necessary for someone or I just humor myself all right so wholeness then is always about relationships that's the next thing I want to mention is that wholeness is always about relationships if you think about what the scripture talks about God is number one well we'll look at that in a second God's number one priority. Let's read Matthew. We're going to read Matthew chapter 22 and 34 through 40. And you're going to know this. Uh, Almost everyone who's been around the church any length of time has heard this, and maybe even some people who haven't, because this is just classic. And so this guy, and we're going to go Matthew 22, verse 34. It says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus was silenced by the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them was a lawyer. He asked Jesus a question, testing him. Now, he's trying to, he's not going for, for truth. He's just trying to get Jesus trapped in his language and trapped in what he's saying. But Jesus didn't matter. He knew what they were up to, and he still spoke the truth. He still revealed what was right. And so he said, one of them, uh, a lawyer asked him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. So the first thing here is to worship God. And the second is like it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these things, these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Okay? So what he's saying is that everything that God wants us to do in the fullness of what the law is all about is to love God, to love people, relationships. Love is not just a gushy feeling. One of my favorite songs is Don Francisco. He says, Jesus didn't die for you because it was fun. He hung there for love because it had to be done. And in spite of the anguish, his word was fulfilled because love is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. And God loves. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion because they go up and down. Love makes a decision. Love makes a choice. And so in the garden, like we were talking about, where Jesus is in anguish, what did he do? Father, if there's any way to get out of this thing, let me go. Nevertheless, not my will but yours because he loved God and he wanted to do what he asked. Just amazing. 
So God's the number one priority. And there is an order to this. And I, I want to say this, and I think it's, you know, some warning bells might go off in your head thinking like, this is weird. Why are you saying this? There's, there's priorities to this. God is number one, right? He's number one. Then us. Then others. That's kind of gets turned around because people usually say what what we need to do is we need to love God and love our neighbor but what God what Jesus said was we need to love our neighbor as ourselves so if we don't love ourselves if we don't see ourselves as who God has created us to be if we don't see our ourselves as whole and all those things it's difficult for us to love someone else because you know what we're going to do and you've heard this hurt people hurt people and I think whole people help other people heal. And there's this whole process that goes on. So if we're broken and wounded, it's very difficult for us to love as the Word of God says love because we're hindered by all the junk in our own lives. And so I want us to pursue God and say, God, make me whole because the wholer you become, the more able you are to love as God loves. It's just the way it is. If you're wounded and broken... See, because what happens if we got all this stuff going on inside of us? Who are we focusing on? Us. Oh, God, I got this, I got that, I got this. And it's valid. God, we want to get rid of this stuff because it's not life as you intended to be. It's not what you desire for us. But if we're just focusing on ourselves, if we don't love ourselves and we, if we hate ourselves and we don't, you know, because some people do. I was just talking to somebody last week. They hate themselves. They don't like who they are. They don't like their gifts. They don't like how they look. They don't like this. They don't like that. And so they're struggling. Is that person going to be confidently be able to come and love someone with the fullness of God's love? No, because she needs to be healed. And when that's healed, man, we can... The more we become that transformed, the more glory we have, the more we can allow the love of God to pour forth out of us. So it's very important that we do this, that we love God, we put him first, and we begin to walk in his ways. And then that we allow ourselves to be shaped by him and accept who we are in him, accept our gifts, accept our calls, accept who we are and begin to walk that out and begin to ask him to heal us so that we can be better prepared to minister to others. You know, a lot of times um, I've seen this. People who are the most wounded and messed up want to help others because they think it's going to help them. I see it all the time. Well, I used to be pretty messed up. But, you know, God's healed me over the years, and so hopefully I can help help people. But, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed God has grace. But they think if I help other people that are hurting, it will help me. But the only way we're going to get healed is to come to Jesus. That's the only way. It's the only way. Because he's the one who's our healer. He paid the penalty and the price. He did it all. And so we have to come to him. So we have to put God first, us second. Is in, 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 this, in the context of what we're talking about here, getting healed so that we can minister to others. Love your neighbor as yourself.
That's interesting. Have you ever done things for somebody because you felt you were forced to? Well, have to. That's not true love. You're feeling compulsion. Have you done ever done anything because you didn't want to seem like you were, you know, you want people to see you in a good light? I'm doing this. Look, look at what I'm doing so that people would look at you and say, wow, that's not love. You're, you're focusing on yourself. And, you know, I've done it all. I mean, I've done it all. Sometimes when you're, when you're a pastor, people expect you to do things because you're a pastor. And you can do it out of duty or you can do it out of love. And there's a difference. But you know what? Sometimes even when we do things out of duty, God ministers because he's, he's full of grace. If we had to be perfect, none of us would be able to minister to anyone. Sometimes even when I'm doing something out of duty, God, by his spirit, moves and does some wonderful things in the heart of people. But that's not what God has for us. He wants us to love out of a decision and a choice that says you're important. So that becomes very good. So now you hear what I'm saying is that a lot of times when the Gospels preach, people want to preach you're going to heaven, going to heaven, going. You know that? In, in the evangelical circles, that's such a huge thing. And I know it's the truth, and I understand the reality of it. But really, ultimately, what God is looking for is not to bring us into heaven, but to bring us into a relationship with him. And because we're in a relationship with him, we'll be with him there. But his goal from the very beginning has always been relationship. And so listen to this. If you go to 1 Corinthians and go to chapter, or 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. You've got to go to 2 Corinthians or you won't find it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making appeal to us through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see what he's talking about? It's a ministry of reconciliation. The gospel is a ministry of reconciliation, bringing people to God. Not just to get them to heaven, but to get them to God and have a relationship. The world's totally estranged from God. Totally. And he says, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Do you know the word reconciliation? means the restoration of friendly relationships. So right now, if a person doesn't know Christ, 
There's a barrier between them and God that can only be removed through us proclaiming that God's reconciling. God sent Jesus so you can be reconciled to God. That's our message for people. You can be reconciled to God. You can come into a relationship with God because Jesus has made it. And he says, we're like ambassadors. We're begging you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. All right. We're crooking with gas, aren't we? All right, I got to get done. Because after all, we're in America. When I go to India, they go, please preach. And they preach for seven hours straight. And the only thing you do is every, about every two hours you take a potty break. I'm serious. That's what they do. And you just stand there and talk for seven hours straight. It's amazing. They're like, give me more. All right. So then here's this. I want to say this too because this is the truth. Is our growth in Christ is a process and it's not an event. It's a process. Isn't it exciting when a baby's born? But that's not the end. That's the beginning. It's the same way with with us when we come to Christ. And there's a same pattern. God gives us this pattern in Scripture, and he shows us some certain things. That we move from immaturity, from being a babe, right? The Scripture says there's babes, there's little children, there's young men, and there's fathers. So it's talking about the whole spectrum of age that's going on and, and position. But there's this idea of coming from a baby and growing into full stature and full maturity of what God has for you. And so there's this picture for us. Our relationship with God changes over time. Hope you understand that. Because it just, you know, for example, you know, when you first, when you first come to Jesus, isn't it just usually amazing? Most people I talk to, oh, man, I came to Jesus. It's so great. He was so close. He was always with me. He was talking to me all the time. He was doing this. He was doing that. Oh, he did. I just say, hey, Jesus, and boom, he'd do it. Oh, it was so good. It was so wonderful. It was so great. Well, that's because we're, we're babes in Christ, and he's just going, hey, rockabye baby. And he's just taking care of us, and he's speaking and cooing to us and telling us things and showing us things and, and just doing that kind of thing. And then as we grow, that changes. You know, if I, if I were to just go and get Zeal, remember Zeal, that kiddo up here? If I was to get him and just pick him up in my arms and go, rock baby, hey, coo, 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 gaga, goo, goo. You know, that'd be kind of weird. Would you agree? Would you think that would be strange? Why? Because he's not a baby. He's like going to be eight. So I treat him like an eight-year-old. And then his sister's 15. I treat her like a 15-year-old. There's a difference in the way that you treat different ages. And then when they get older, I'll treat them another way, won't I? Because there's a change of relationship as they grow and they mature. The same thing happens for us. The same thing. All right, let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, and we'll just crank through this. This is interesting, too. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. He says, I'm writing to you little children. And these aren't babies. These are like kids that 
they, you know, they might be like, uh, you know, eight years, 10, 12, right in there, you know, that kind of spectrum. So he says, I'm writing to you little children. So he's not speaking to the babies. He says, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. And I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, I just want to look at these three different aspects and understand that we have to know where we're at kind of in our journey. And you know what? It, somebody, somebody's put it this way. You know what? You, you, can, you can know the Lord for 20 years and still be a babe in Christ because you've never moved and stepped out into the, you, you've never grown in him. And you can just kind of be there and you can know Christ, but that doesn't age Number of years does not speak of maturity. Some younger believers are more mature than older believers. And the reason being is, is because of the allowance of God working in, in a person's heart and those things. But just let's look at this real fast, and then we'll finish. So he says children. There's a couple of words for children. The one that they use talk about there's the concept of behind it of children who are under instruction. So a child is just a kid, but this word of children is ones who are being instructed. It's where we get our, our ideas of uh, being taught, instructed. This Greek word is, is a basis for ones we use in English for like pedagogy kind of stuff. Fancy words, right, about teaching and learning. And so these little ones are here, but what does he say? He says, children, your sins are forgiven. What's the first thing that happens when we come to the Lord? We understand, we begin to understand that our sins are forgiven. We come to him and we're reconciled with God. And we have, have our sins washed away and we're forgiven. And there's a cleansing that has taken place. And we rejoice in that and, and we're grateful for that. And it's just a wonderful thing. But the second thing he talks about to these children is because you know the Father. So... What's the focal point? Father. When we're kids, daddy. Kids, daddy. Kids, mommy. You know, we, we focus on our parent that's with us, and we focus our attention on them. And he's, what John's saying is that little children, you know the Father. You've come into a relationship with the Father. You're saved. That's when we're at that stage where he's, where God's just, you know, caring for us and, and nurturing us and all those things because we're small and we're little and we need it. Babies need way more attention than older children. Way more. Like, well, you got, if, if you had a kid, you know. I don't know so much because I was always working. <laughs> but what can you say? But this idea of knowing the Father and being in that relationship. Then he goes to young men. He says, you've overcome the evil one. You know, you don't think of a little kid. Yeah, you're overcoming the evil one. You're strong in the power of the Lord. Even though little kids have authority, they do. Everyone has the same authority. 
but little kids don't understand it generally and 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 those kind of things and so he says you've overcome the evil one and then he, the second saying he says is because you are strong the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. It says the same thing twice. You've overcome the evil one. So as these young men grow up, then what's happening in the stature of the Lord is we're beginning to be grounded in, in our authority and understanding who we are in God and putting our feet on the ground and standing against the works of the enemy and overcoming the evil one. And it says because you are strong, that idea is that is, is that very idea, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. It's not in their own strength and vigor. You know, young men are strong. You know, some of those young guys might be able to whoop me up pretty good nowadays, you know, because they're strong. I'm tricky. Sometimes you can trick strong people. I guarantee you on that one. But uh, isn't that true? Or, or if, if you're if you're like Jerry Lee and, and know, um, you know, some moves become just, they're just automatic. He used to be a wrestler, and he still knows how to do stuff. He could probably take me down, tie me in a rope in three seconds, even though, right? Well, maybe four. We'll give you four seconds. But, um, you know, some guy, boom, things are instinct, and you just, just do them. But he says, you know, you guys are strong, but it's the strength in the Lord. Don't ever think that you are strong. Because when you're strong, you think you're strong, you'll fall. Because you're depending on your own strength. It says, be strong in the Lord. And the power of his might doesn't say anything about you flexing your muscles or being tough. What it says is be strong in him because he's given you power and authority. And so these guys get it and they're standing in the strength of the Lord so they've overcome the evil one. And it says the word of God abides in you. You know, when you're babes, you don't have as much of the word of God. You grow in a wisdom and knowledge. You know, it says Jesus when he is a kid. Get this. This is Jesus. He grew in wisdom and knowledge and favor before God and man. How, how could he grow with favor? Because as he matured, he began to do more things. Just think about that. So the word of God abides in you, and that's that truth. That's that reality. That's why they can stand strong, because they're standing on the truth. And then fathers, it says this, and it says the same thing twice. I don't know why John did that. Everything else, he kind of added other things. But he says, fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. What he's saying is that you have a mature relationship with the one who created all things, the one who's from the beginning, the Lord of hosts. See, when we're little kids, we kind of can see God as our father. He never stops being our father. I'm Josh's father, right? You guys know Josh up here, right? He just turned 40. He's still my son. But he doesn't come up and go, hey, daddy. Let's go play. Or, you know, he doesn't do stuff like that because he's big. He's mature. He has his own family. So we have a different relationship. And even though I'm still his father and recognize that, it's different. Fathers mature to a place that God has called them to be, and they know him. They know him who is from the beginning. 
And there's a difference between the knowledge of like a zeal and my knowledge. There's a difference in experience in life. I've lived life more fuller than he is. And it's nothing against him because he hasn't had an opportunity. He's only seven and nine-tenths or something because he's going to be eight pretty quick. Almost eight, you got to be that when you're a kid. You're almost eight. Or right after your birthday, you're going to be nine next year. <laughs> you got to say that immediately, too. I'm going to be nine next year. I'll be nine. Yeah, you sure will. But there's a difference in in the relationship with the Father, and it's only because it's not because of any extra greatness. It's because I've had time to mature, and he'll have his opportunity to mature, and he can walk in the same things. That's what our goal is, is for him to walk in the ways of the Lord. And our granddaughters also, of course, but I guess it must be zeal day today because he just messed me up with the flag. Squirrel. So, all right. So as you can see, one of the things that Suzette and I have been talking about is she, she's been doing this for a while. She says, you know what? You need to just, you need to just give people opportunity to accept Jesus every time we're together, even though you know who's here and so I just want to probably start doing that because we never know we never know we've had had one person in our congregation that she she knew all the words to say she knew the bible she'd been going to church for oh I think a couple three years or more and and she came here from a different state. She was going to UND, and so she was here. And, and I was just giving an opportunity for people to accept Jesus and come to a knowledge of him and respond to him in faith to cleanse their sins and, and deal with that. And so I made that invitation, and guess what she did? She raised her hand. And I was like, what? I don't get that. Okay. And... So then, of course, being curious, I just said, hey, I saw you raised your hand. You've been talking about God. You've been speaking about who he is. You've been saying biblical things. You've been doing all this stuff. You've been going to church. You've been doing all this. What, what's up with that? She goes, you know what? Until you said it the way you said it today, I didn't understand it. And God just opened my mind, and I wanted to accept him. I'd never done that before. And so we never know. It's just so interesting. So I guess I want to do that. I want to give us an opportunity to respond to Jesus today. If, if you've never had that relationship with Jesus, and again, remember, I just preached today about relationship. That's the number one thing. And if you've never come to Jesus, if you've never had your sins forgiven, you're separated from God, even though you might be a nice person. But you're separated from him because the only thing that can bring you to God is the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing. 
And God wants that relationship. So if you're here today and and uh, maybe you're just hearing this for the first time and understanding I need to accept Christ, then I want to give you that opportunity to to just go ahead, just raise your hand and say, you know what, I want to enter into that relationship with Christ today so that I can have that personal relationship. I can be restored to that relationship with God. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Let's everybody just pray together and we'll end our time. Dear Jesus, I come before you and I recognize my need for a Savior. I've sinned against you and I've been separated from you because of my sin. Please cleanse me of my sin. I repent and turn to you. I believe you can wash away my sin and restore a relationship with God. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless. You know what's interesting, too, is we we have we usually have copies of our sermons and stuff and we've had some of the sermons over 600 times people have downloaded them and listened to them so we just never even know who might be listening online that needs to accept Jesus it's kind of interesting thousands of sermons cuz we've been doing this for years thousands can't remember the number anymore. I have to look all the time because it goes up all the time. But people download and listen, and we're hopeful that they'll accept Christ. So that's that's a prayer that you can pray to God. Just pour out your glory upon people as they hear the word that they could come to know you. So, all right. I think downstairs they have some goodies, maybe some coffee, anyway. And uh, Fred. Did you bring anything? He's always crazy doing that. He dropped off a bunch at our house yesterday. Hey, if anyone, if I'm, this is serious. If anyone wants a pumpkin this big, I'm serious. Ask me. It's in there in my truck. I got humongous mammoth nuclear pumpkins in my truck, and they're right outside. Huge. Just look at them. You'll love it. Yeah, it's right there. Right there. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great day.